listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So when I was a kid, maybe this is just me, maybe I'm just kind of a, a weirdo or something, and I'm okay with that. I've accepted that fact. Um, when I was a kid, I loved story time. Story time was my favorite part of the day. Whether it was in school, the teacher, I don't know, if maybe they don't do this anymore. But we had a time where it was like just before recess for maybe 15 minutes, the teacher would read a book out loud to us. And I loved it. I remember just listening to the characters and the stories and these, you know, unique plot lines. And I was like, this is so cool. And it, and it kind of draws you in, right? There's really a lot of power in a good story, isn't there? I was blessed to grow up in a family where my mom, she was a kindergarten teacher, so she, uh, she would read to us a lot of times. And this was before bed. She always had a good book that she was reading to us. So we read James and the Giant Peach. Man, that's a good one. James and the Giant Peach. Then we read uh, The Secret Garden. That was the one that always stood out to me. And still, as I think of it, I can hear my mom's voice and the, just the rhythm of it. There's great power in a story. And maybe for you, you don't have to be a book person to love a good story. Even if it's uh, movies. What do movies do? Well, they, they tell stories. And what we're learning is that Scripture is actually a story. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. Scripture is true from Genesis to Revelation, but it has the same elements of, of a story. It has main characters, it has side characters, it has an evil villain, it has this, this one continuous plot line, this, this single thread of redemption all the way through where God is working to redeem His lost and broken creation. So Scripture, it turns out, even though it's all of these individual books and individual stories, which it's sometimes hard to see how they're all connected, what we're doing as we're making our way through the stories, we're discovering they're actually all connected to tell this single narrative, and they're all pointing ahead toward Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. So last week, we, uh, well, before we get to that, let me do this. We want to review what is the main plot line of the Bible. One of our goals as we make our way through the story, is for everyone here, for, for all of us to be able to give a clear, concise answer to the question, when someone asks you, hey, what's the Bible all about? And we can say things like, well, God, well, well, Jesus, but like, if you have 10 seconds with someone on an elevator, how do you summarize a book this big, right? Well, we want to give you some of these tools to be able to, to respond, and really, it's quite simple. So, if you know it, I encourage you to say this with me now. What is the Bible? The Bible is the story of God's great love for us, how far we have gone from that love, and how far God was willing to go to get us back. Last week, we kicked off by talking about creation, and we covered all sorts of ground. You're going to notice this as we go through the story. We're not just talking about five verses. Like Each week, we're covering 
Some of them will be multiple books and multiple chapters. So we're not going to be able to dive into all the, the minutiae in, in the sermon at, at least. And so that's why I encourage you to continue reading it on your own and coming to Sunday school class. Last week we talked creation and fall. We learned about the story of Cain and Abel, this tragic story. And then we moved on to Noah and the flood and God's covenant. At the end of it all, he puts this rainbow in the sky, promises never again will I destroy the earth. That was chapter one. Today we're in chapter two, God builds a nation. And this chapter is mostly about one man, a guy by the name of Abraham. God calls Abraham to leave his homeland behind and travel to the promised land. And then God, what he does is he makes this promise to him. We call these, these promises covenants. This is the second covenant we'll encounter in Scripture. There are four main covenants. Last week, the first one was Noah. This week, it's with Abraham. And he tells him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham, he, he gets married to this woman named Sarah, and together they have Isaac. And this just incredible story about how two people the age of great-grandparents have their kid, right? They have the child of promise that it seemed like it was going to be impossible, and yet God came through. He provided. He gave them Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, right? There's a little bit of sibling rivalry going on there. Jacob steals the blessing, he steals the birthright from his brother, and yet in spite of this, God chooses Jacob to be the father of the Israelites. He has 12 sons, these 12 tribes of Israel. That's a big flyover, 10,000 foot picture of chapter 2. But here's a text I want to zoom in on today, and it's Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles if you have them. If not, if you brought the story, you can turn to page 19 in that. You'll be able to follow along. It'll be on the screen here as well. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. I invite you to rise for the reading of God's Word this morning. goes like this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Soren Kierkegaard, who was a 19th century Danish philosopher, he wrestled with this story. It's often called the binding of Isaac. Sometimes it's called the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac wasn't actually killed. So other times it's the binding, right? He was bound with cords on the altar. And Kierkegaard wrote uh, this book, Fear and Trembling is what it's called. And it's, it's just a meditation on this instance in particular. And in this book, he talks about the paradox of Abraham's faith. He, now keep in mind, Kierkegaard is a Christian. He uses the term absurdity to describe Abraham's faith. We can go to the next slide, Tracy. He uses this word absurdity. Faith is, is absurd, he says, not because it's false or naive, but because faith means believing two things simultaneously that seem to stand in contradiction to one another. And you've got to be able to hold both of these in tension, and that's, a, that's what Abraham does. See, on the one hand, he has this promise from God, right? Isaac is the man. He's your son. He is the one through whom the seed is going to come. Many offspring I will give to you, as many as the, the stars in the sky, right? So he's got this, this sure, unshakable promise from the Lord that he's going to provide descendants through Isaac, and uh, that's hard to do if Isaac is dead. On the other hand, though, so you've got the promise here, but on the other hand, Abraham gets this call from God to sacrifice his son, to kill the very answer to his prayers, to end the line of the Messiah here and there, here and at, right in that moment. That's effectively what God is asking Abraham to do, to take the thing that he loves the most, his only son, and to sacrifice him. How does that make sense? That's his point. How does that make sense? How can two seemingly contradictory things be true at the same time? And he says, well, this is faith by definition, to believe God's promise in spite all evidence to the contrary. When everything around you, everything you see, taste, touch, and hear screams that it's not true, that God lied to you, that he's not loving and gracious, that he won't forgive you, that when that happens, to hold fast to God's promises, kind of like a climber out on an exposed cliffside with a storm moving in, right? Clinging fast, holding tight to that rope. That is faith. Here's what's, what gets me about this story, too, is after Abraham gets this call from God to go and sacrifice his son, he takes a three-day journey. So for three days in his mind... 
he's able to contemplate and wonder and question. And I can't help but wonder myself, had I been in his shoes, what sort of questions would have been rolling around in there? What sort of fears and what sort of doubts on his three-day journey to Mount Moriah? And the question's like, did I hear God right? Is he going to, how is he going to give me a grandchild if my boy is dead? Maybe it wasn't God after all who told me to do this. Maybe it was the devil. I thought God was against murder. I thought he was against human sacrifice. I thought he was loving and gracious. Well, has God's promise failed? You're starting to see why Kierkegaard uses the word absurdity to talk about this, right? It's some pretty tough stuff. But here's the thing. The New Testament makes it clear that Abraham didn't waver in his faith. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 4.20. He says, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And then in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, here it is, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So here's how strong Abraham's faith was, right? He believed that even if God took his son, even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Wow. Just like, wow. I don't know about you, but personally, I have trouble believing that God's going to provide me a parking space and a full lot, much less that he's going to raise my kid from the dead. If I could just have like, a drop, just the, the tiniest drop of that sort of faith, I'd be in a much better place. Unwavering faith. There's a lot of inspiration here when we look at Abraham, isn't there? And this is soul-stirring stuff. I mean, Abraham could have given up, right? He could have thrown in the towel. He could have said no. He, he could have said, that's, that's it, I've had it with this whole faith thing, but he didn't. He, pers- he persevered. And here's what Kierkegaard says in Fear and Trembling. He's talking about faith, and he says he admires this about Abraham. And he says, every moment to see the sword hanging over the loved one's head, speaking about Isaac here, and yet find not repose in the pain of resignation, but joy on the strength of the absurd. In other words, faith. That is wonderful. The thought of it stirs my soul. Basically, he's saying, that's the kind of fear I want. You know, to be able to look danger and fear squarely in the eye, unflinchingly, and yet not fatalistically throw in the towel, but instead to find joy because I trust in God's merciful ways. That is faith. But here's the problem. If I'm honest with myself, and maybe someone here can identify with this, even on my best days, I don't have that kind of faith. More often than not, I'm consumed by worry, anxiety, fear, and and dread about whether God is going to come through for me. 
even if he did yesterday and the day before and the day before, until the day I was born, and until the day I die, not one of his promises have failed, yet there's still this, this nagging little voice in the back of my mind saying, well, you know, this might be the week. This might be the week he doesn't come through for you. This might be the time that God is not faithful to his promises. Maybe this is the day he won't provide whatever it is that I need. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, guys. I'm going to say I don't think this is a Pastor Luke problem. I think this is a human problem. I think it's a problem that all Christians wrestle with. And the bottom line is that my faith, our faith, isn't as rock steady as, as it should be, is it? It's fraught with human frailty, inconsistent, and constantly in need of strengthening. And if you don't believe me, imagine yourself in Abraham's shoes that day. You get this call from God saying, sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. How would you have responded? Would you have hesitated? You may remember that two weeks ago we talked about how one of our goals in the story is to learn how all of Scripture is about Jesus from beginning to end. It's all about Him. He's the main character. He's the hero, not us. And, and that switch, making that switch in our mindsets and the way we approach Scripture is actually really, really hard because we're kind of narcissists at heart. We'd love to be the hero. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be the good guy. And so when we see a good guy, we see an example in Scripture, the first thing we, we want to ask without even thinking about it was, well, like, okay, how can I be like him? What do I have to do to make my faith like Abraham? What's God asking me to give up? What can I do to make my faith stronger? That's basically every sermon I've ever heard on this passage But who are all those questions about? They're about me, aren't they? I'm still at the center. I, I'm the main character. I'm the hero. But what if, what if I'm not Abraham in this story? What if I'm not the hero who made the ultimate sacrifice, giving his one and only son? What if, instead... I'm the one who killed God's one and only Son. I'm the one who nailed Him to the cross. I'm the guilty one. It was my sin that, that drove Him there. And I was there that day in Jerusalem with the crowd screaming those same damning words about Jesus. His blood be on us and on our children. Turns out we're not the heroes after all gets worse, by nature we're actually the enemies. We're the villains. And it was God who, like Abraham, offered up His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It was Jesus who, like Isaac, carried the wood of the cross on His back up the mountain of Golgotha that day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Did you know, this is interesting, did you know that Mount Moriah is located where the Temple Mount was? 
where the Temple Mount is today, the place where sacrifices were offered, this is no accident. It was Jesus who, like Isaac, took a ride on a donkey, humbling himself while the crowds inaugurated him as king. It was Jesus who, like Isaac, faced his own annihilation alone on a mountaintop that day 2,000 years ago, experiencing his own father turning against him and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But unlike Isaac, Jesus wasn't actually spared. He suffered, bled, and died for your sins and mine to forgive us and to give peace with God to all who will believe. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves me. At the last moment in the story of Abraham, do you remember what happens? Who showed up? A messenger of the Lord appeared and commanded Abraham not to kill his son. Can you imagine Abraham in that moment? Did the knife just just clatter to the ground? Did relief flood his face? Did tears of joy come? Did his knees give out? Did his hands start to shake? Did, Did he break down and embrace Isaac? But then did God... Then God did something even more miraculous because he provided a substitute. Abraham looked over. What did he see? Ram caught in the bushes, caught in the thicket by its horns, and he sacrificed the ram in place of his son. In the same way, Jesus serves as our substitute Tertullian, who was an early church father, put it like this. He said, Christ in his times carried his wood on his own shoulders, adhering to the horns of the cross with a thorny crown encircling his head. I love the way our text for today shifts at the very end and in the very final verses. You see, the spotlight shifts because up till now, It's been about Abraham, right? The spotlight has been on Abraham and Isaac, but in the end, it shifts over to God and the spotlight is on him. Listen to this, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. See, in the end, God provided the very thing that he demanded. And he does the same for us too, providing us the gift of faith that that we could not work up for ourselves. So the next time trials hit in your own life, the next time you're hard-pressed as you make your way up that mountain, whatever it is, and you're tempted to ask, will God really provide what I need this time? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Where is the provision? My hope and prayer is that your answer to that question will be the same as that of John the Baptist, who boldly pointed to Christ and proclaimed, Behold, the man of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Where is God's provision? Where is the lamb? Well, he is right here. His name is Jesus, and he hasn't gone anywhere. He is the one with nail-scarred hands and feet, the one with thorn marks on his brow. He is not unfamiliar with trials and suffering and pain because that difficult thing that you are walking through right now, he knows it too, and he sees you there in the midst of it because he's walked it as well. So take heart. God has provided. God does provide. And in Jesus Christ, God will provide for your salvation today, now, and always. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.